today on Ag News Daily. Prior to it being officially called, the pandemic, uh, consumers were stockpiling uh, products from the retail store, mainly ground beef. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. Mike Pearson here for today's edition of the Ag News Daily Podcast. I am joined by Delaney Howell. Delaney, how are you doing today? I'm pretty good, Mike. I am planting a garden. Well, I'm not planting it outside yet, but I'm starting some seedlings and little seedling trays. And I've got to say, I really have never planted a garden as an adult, so I don't really know what I'm doing. So if you've got any listeners that have a good green thumb and would like to give me some tips, please hit me up on Twitter. Well, former presidential candidate Michael Bloomberg just says you just put the seed in the ground and give it some water and pretty soon you'll have a garden. Well, I think there's a little more to it than that, but sure. Uh, no, I think you're exactly correct, Delaney. I think that's uh, maybe part of the reason he's um, well, that's good. You know, it's interesting. I was talking to Max Armstrong earlier today when we were shooting this week in agribusiness, and um, he was talking to Andy Levine, who is the uh, president of the American uh, Seed Trade Association. You sure you know Andy? And Andy said that packet seed sales have skyrocketed over the past month and a half as this coronavirus fear has grown, and people are concerned about food security. So. Everybody, it sounds like, is planting a garden this year, Delaney. So you should be in good company of people trying to learn the art of gardening firsthand. Yeah, it's uh, very right on the money there. I have some seeds that are left over from my parents' garden from last year. So fingers crossed that those germinate and grow. (laughs) But looking through the online seed sale catalogs, there were, I would say, like 80% of the seeds were out of stock or out of stock for the foreseeable future. And I was wondering if it was because of this pandemic concern that more people were turning to plant gardens this year. And uh, I guess afraid that the food system will be disrupted. Yeah, that's, uh, that's what the American seed trade association is thinking. There is some real concerns about food security out there. And, you know, I think Delaney, and I, I imagine you're going to agree with this. Anybody learning how hard it is to grow food is probably a win for agriculture. You know, if we get more people out there trying to garden, getting a feel for, you know, how too much rain or too little rain can just completely hose you, I think it will help people appreciate what farmers do day in and day out. Yeah, I think you are right on the money there, Mike. Well, Delaney, that is uh, good personal news, but do we have any agriculture news for the day? What stories are you watching? We absolutely do, Mike. As we are continuing to watch this stimulus package unfold, there's also been some rumors or some tricklings on Congress, from Congress, really, that they would like to include an infrastructure package as part of this coronavirus recovery effort. We don't yet know what that would look like in particular, but the Democrats, of all people, are pushing this forward and have said that I, because of coronavirus concerns, I think this is a good time to do it, a good time to fix our infrastructure. But again, they didn't really share what it is they think needs fixing. Uh, so we'll continue to watch that. But the other piece of this that I'm very heavily watching that is related to infrastructure as well is new 5G. I think really it's uh, brought to light how crappy country internet is. And sometimes I think the podcast may suffer a little from that because I'm on country Wi-Fi. But the FCC is 
distributing about $9 billion as part of the stimulus package to bring better 5G connectivity to rural America and rural communities as we see so many people working from home and in some instances probably not having very good service. Yeah, I mean, I think that would be a huge win for a lot of people out there, not just in like real rural areas, but even cities like Des Moines. You know, I know Des Moines doesn't have access to 5G, at least they didn't last I saw. So this could be a really good thing. Definitely speed up some connectivity. Absolutely. Well, I tell you what, Delaney, we had some agriculture news come out earlier today. Uh, Might be bearish for soybeans. So I've been talking for the past few weeks about how cities in Argentina have been restricting the flow of traffic in and out of their cities. And this in Argentina has hurt the crushing capabilities of their soybean crushing industry. And, uh, you know, we've been thinking for a while that perhaps some of these mayors might go so far as to shut down ports or shut down mills, all in a, uh, an attempt to slow the spread of coronavirus. Well, it was reported earlier today by the, uh, the oilseed crushing and exporters chamber in Argentina that the number of municipal governments that are restricting the flow of traffic is starting to decline. Uh, Apparently, these mayors and local governments and uh, port workers have, I guess, gotten over their fear of contracting coronavirus. And so they're starting to let more and more trucks in, which is probably going to help Argentina stay on pace with their soybean exports. So it's going to be one more piece of bearish news in this soybean complex that is uh, is suffering right along with the rest of the grain, Delaney. Well, all right. We also have some bearish news if you are a sugarcane producer. But if you're a baker, we've got great news for you. We are seeing really poor weather go on right now, Mike, in Louisiana, which is a very key sugarcane growing state. And they've seen one of the worst sugar beet harvests in decades in states like Minnesota and North Dakota. So... Unfortunately, for those folks, we're having to turn to Mexico to increase our sugar supply. We have seen the USDA has now decided to, and they will publish this in the Federal Register tomorrow, but they've decided to nearly double the 2020 tariff rate quota for refined sugar. And so they said they've they've needed to do this because so many people are baking. We've seen so many people stockpiling at the grocery store you know, simple things like hamburger and hot dog buns, those use a lot of sugar or refined sugar. And so bakers and food manufacturers and confectioners are saying that there's not enough sugar supply here in the United States because of those poor weather issues that happened in 2019. And so now we're seeing quite a bit more sugar that's got the potential to flood the U.S. markets. I thought that was pretty fascinating and uh not sure really what those long-term implications are going to look like as we see that much sugar flood the marketplace. Right. I wonder, and this is something I think we'll have to do a little digging on. And listeners, if you have any indication or clue as to the answer to my question, please find us on Twitter. Let us know. Uh, just check us out at Ag News Daily on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram. But I wonder, once you raise a tariff rate quota or a TRQ, how easy is it to bring it back down right. like next year? if the weather's good? Or are these things kind of sticky? I don't know. Right. That's that's the good question. That's a question I've got as well. All right. So listeners, if you can help us out, hit us up. We love talking with the folks who know what it is they're talking about because it helps us do a little bit better. Absolutely. Um, we, Yeah. We also had some export news out today. It's Thursday, Export Sales Day. And on the corn side, it was 
Not bad. Uh, we had 1 million metric tons of corn sales secured over the last week, uh, which was not a not a great figure, but not a bad figure. It was right in the middle of analyst expectations for sales. However, the actual export figure, bushels loaded on trains and ships, was 1.2 million metric tons, which is one of the stronger export sales we've seen in quite some time in this corn market. And this is in spite of the dollar screaming to uh, almost three-year highs in the past week. Um, not a lot of it was going to China. The bulk of the exports were headed for Japan and Mexico on the corn side. On the soybean side, let me pull up my figures here. We also had export sales out earlier today. And, of course, now I can't find my figures, but I will continue to look for those. Delaney, I closed my window. Gosh darn it. But I tell you what, we also have uh, – so exports – here we go. Um, we were up 50,000 metric tons from the previous week in soybeans. We sold 957,000-ish uh, metric tons of soybeans, which is great news. And again, one of the biggest purchasers was Mexico. Uh, China was in, but not in a huge way. The other big thing we have is the National Oilseed Processors Association, or NOPA, reported a February crush of 181.6 million bushels. So we chewed up 181 million bushels of soybeans in the month of February, crushing for soybean meal and oil. And that was well over analyst expectations of 176.6 million bushels. So again, strong news there for soybeans. Finally, you know, we're seeing demand pick up, Delaney, which is a, a welcome sight. We are. And we're also seeing today we saw stocks and oil skyrocketed higher after President Trump sent out a tweet. He said in his tweet that he expects Saudi Arabia and Russia to cut down production of oil. And he also said that um, this would help dial down a price war. And it indeed did send crude oil higher. We saw crude up about 8% on the day. And uh, prices got to about $25 a barrel, so really not high, but it did see some reaction to President Trump's tweets. Yeah, and any move to the upside should be helpful for the ethanol industry as well, which maybe is why we saw December corn up a little bit, Delaney. I tell you what, I am all out of news. Do you have any other stories before we jump into the markets? I have just one other quick story. I think this is very timely because we're continuing the beef discussion today. I know yesterday we talked about what was going on from the RCAF side of things. Today we're talking about what COVID-19 will do to the beef supply chain if we continue to see processing and, and slaughter facilities come offline. But we're also, of course, as part of the stimulus package, seeing about $9.5 billion authorized to assist farmers and ranchers affected by the coronavirus. And that's not all going to beef producers. But beef has definitely been an industry that's been impacted by it. And we saw a group of more than 140 members of Congress came together and wrote a letter and sent it to the administration and the USDA asking them for, quote, swift assistance for cattle producers with, you know, some of this aid package. They said, we request that USDA consider data and estimates available from the Office of Chief Economist and implement a program that would directly respond to the negative effects on producers caused by COVID-19. They're asking essentially for some very quick, targeted and temporary relief for cattle producers. 
You know, it makes a lot of sense. They're asking for assistance to the producer during the MFP rounds yes. over the past two years. We've seen assistance go towards basically the retail side of things to improve beef demand. You know, money went to schools and uh, nonprofits to help them buy more beef from processors, but not a lot of that trickled into the producer's hands. Right. So that hopefully they can come up with a good solution. Absolutely. And a solution is needed, especially after a day like today in the cattle complex. Taking a look at the markets as a whole, we are broadly down on the day. In the corn markets, May corn was down one and a quarter cents at three thirty-three and a half. December up two and a half cents at three forty-nine and three quarters. In soybeans, the May contract dropped four cents to close at eight fifty-eight and three quarters. November new crop down half a cent, finished the day at eight sixty-three even. Over on the wheat side of the ledger, the May contract was down eight and a half cents at five. 541 and three quarters. The December down eight and three quarter cents to finish the day at 551 even. Jumping over to livestock. Oh boy, folks, as I take a look at my screen, every contract, and I'm looking at the first three contracts in live cattle, feeder cattle, and lean hogs, all limit down, all on expanded limits. So in live cattle, it's $4.50. The April was down 450, closed at 92.82 half. The June also 450 lowered, finished at 83.07 half. In feeder cattle, the April down 675, closed at 110.67 half. The May down 675 as well, finished at 111.65. Lean hogs, oh, same story. April down four and a half bucks, closed at 44.70. May also down four and a half, closed the day at 45.47 and and a half. Looking over at the dairy picture, boy, more weakness today in dairy as well. We did start to hear of milk plants ordering farmers to dump milk. That's how bad this is getting in class three milk. The April contract was off 14 cents at 14.31 and the May was down 20 to close at 12.92. We'll dig in more on the dairy side tomorrow with Alyssa Badger from High Ground Dairy. But today, as Delaney mentioned, let's learn about the beef supply chain. Well, we are continuing the discussion about what COVID-19 will do to various supply chains within agriculture, talking about the beef supply chain today in particular with Dr. Michael Baker, Senior Extension Associate with Cornell University. Michael, thank you so much for joining us today. Well, thank you for having me. Before we talk about, obviously, today's current news or maybe the latest news going on right now because of COVID-19, share with our listeners a little bit about your background and what you do out there at Cornell University. Yeah, so I've been uh, in extension, cooperative extension, uh, my entire career, uh, which is uh, approaching 35 years. Uh, I'm trained as a nutritionist. Uh, but my Ph.D. Uh, really looked at meat quality and the factors that affect that, as well as some uh, supply chain issues and, and how we uh, get uh, beef to market. So a wide range of uh, uh, topics, uh, some that are very apropos to current situations. And I've maintained a, a good relationship contact with some of our larger processors. So that's been helpful. No doubt. And looking at some of our current facilities and current processing facilities, the reason we reached out to you in particular is you just released some news or it was on Cornell's website in particular, looking at a processing facility in Souderton, Pennsylvania, JBS processing facility that will close business because of some COVID-19 confirmed cases. 
Tell us a little bit more about the situation going on out there and what that will do to the beef supply chain in that part of the country. Sure. So first understand that their current plans are to be this be a temporary closure. Uh, they are very much in hopes of, of being uh, back in business as far as buying and processing cattle on April 14th. Um, so what had happened is there was uh, two uh, cases of COVID ID uh, uh, 19. I'm sorry, within uh, their facility, and it became more of a worker issue than anything else. Uh, the workers were concerned, as they should be, uh, and decided that uh, for a short time they wanted to. Uh, uh, close the plant so they'd have time to clean and, and you know, do that two-week uh, separation and, and management uh, was uh, listening to them and, and, and supportive of that. So currently, uh, the plant uh, which the, yeah, the, the plant which harvests uh, about 75% uh, finished cattle and 25% uh, cold cows and bulls uh, has uh, basically been out of the equation for this week and the following week. And it's under it's my understanding that this facility in Souderton is one of the largest facilities in the area. Is am I correct in assuming that? Yes, it's uh, actually I think east of the Mississippi, one of the largest, if not the largest, yeah. And so when you look at the beef supply chain, I mean it's just been phenomenally interesting to see when you go to the grocery store the lack of meat that's on the shelf because consumers are nervous or scared and are buying produce, buying meat up. When you look at this facility shutting down for just two weeks, what do you see that doing to the beef supply chain when it gets back down then to the retail or consumer level? So what is happening mostly in terms of uh, consumer purchasing that we're seeing is early on uh, when this uh, pandemic, or even prior to it being officially called a pandemic, uh, consumers were stockpiling uh, products from the retail store, mainly ground beef. Uh, ground beef is much more versatile, uh, and so and, and put a lot of meals. So uh, that's what was going off the shelves. They were taking some steaks, obviously, and, and so on, but you can't do as much with a steak as ground beef. So. Then uh, we started to see a little relaxation in that. There was more meat coming back on the counters, uh, in the beef counters. Uh, but now as this ramps up, folks are getting a little more concerned. And retailers are getting concerned because they also know that their customers had bought a lot of beef and may not want to come back in and, and buy more beef because they've got plenty at home. So the retailers appear to be backing off on their purchases. Uh, so we've got, you know, the supply chain, which backed up, uh, which I suppose is a good thing, and retailers has backed off. Uh, but it's not good for the farmer because that's going to have a great impact on, on pricing. I was at the grocery store kind of before this all blew up completely, but overheard a conversation of some people saying that they were afraid that meat or produce or whatever, but meat in particular was at the butcher or the deli counter, 
that they were afraid it was just going to be completely gone or that stores weren't going to be able to get meat. Is that concern warranted or do you think that's a little extreme? It's extreme from the standpoint of the supply that is in the country, if you will. Uh, beef production is anticipated to be up 2.3 or 4% from last year. So there's plenty of beef in the country. The challenge is, and what I mean by the country, of course, is out on the farms, is to get it through the channel to the consumer. And now, if if this uh, JBS facility in, in Souderton, Pennsylvania, uh, is the only one affected, you know, there, there's lots of other facilities as we go west uh, to fill in, in some of the gap. Uh, if JBS comes back online as planned on the 14th, then that will fill in some of the gap. But what we obviously don't know is uh, what's going to happen to these other plants. So uh really not a good prediction of supply demand is relatively good still uh but it's a supply chain and, and getting it through absolutely that's uh i think one of the main concerns is transportation and will we see hopefully mm -hmm. not ever but hopefully see no transportation being completely shut down with trucking and shipping and all of that but I think the other thing that's been interesting to watch, and I noticed on your bio there on Cornell's website that you do a little bit of focus on niche markets and, and co-products and all of that. I think the other thing that's been mm -hmm. interesting to see is just when producers are able to retail directly to consumers, the impact or the foothold that they've been able to create during this COVID-19 pandemic. Oh, yeah, that's real interesting. I just had an email from a producer this morning saying uh, or asking about uh, local plants because the one he normally uses is booked all through the summer. And I'm hearing this over and over again. I mean, a lot of our local processing plants had a pretty busy schedule anyhow. And so now that's just increased. So we'll get through this. And then I read another article that was uh, posted on meetingplace.com, which is a, a really good new electronic newsletter. And they uh, provided some information uh, from China in terms of what consumers did now that it's slowing down over there. And, and basically what it, the survey showed was that more consumers were eating at home or doing takeout than they had prior to the uh, pandemic. So that's good news for the direct marketers. That If that happens here in the U.S., that should increase their market uh, for, for their products. Long term, do you see COVID-19 causing any big shifts in the way that we consume or market or find our food or sell our food? Well, again, if if, uh, if the current trend where the direct marketers I've talked to have said they're either sold out or their supplies way down, uh, if that current trend happens, then and they have the ability to ramp up and have the processor uh, to take uh, on, their, on, their, on their product, which if they, you know, we plan ahead far enough, then, then that will happen. Uh, I, I think for direct marketers, it's, it's a, very much going to be a, a, a benefit. Uh, but, you know, direct marketing really, as you look at the whole scope of things, is not a huge uh, proportion of, of uh, how uh, Americans source their food. 
but certainly the uh, percentage will go up. Absolutely. Well, this has just been very fascinating to watch, if nothing else. Not a great time with uncertainty, but very interesting to watch it all evolve. Dr. Michael Baker, thank you so much for joining today. Yes, thanks for having me. I uh, enjoyed talking with you. Well, again, a big thank you there to Dr. Baker. Interesting stuff to consider. This is definitely, I would say, a pivotal moment for American agriculture, just as you are saying at the beginning of the podcast, Mike, with people trying to grow their own food or potentially raise their own food. I mean, this is uh, definitely some unprecedented times. Yeah, it, it truly is, Lenny. Unprecedented is a great word for it. But listeners, if you want to keep up to date on what is happening these unprecedented times, stay tuned to the Ag News Daily Podcast. You can hear us on all of your favorite podcast places. You can always tell your friends and neighbors about us, and you can share any of the things we tweet or Facebook or Insta on those uh, websites. Just head to at Ag News Daily on any of them or visit our website, agnewsdaily.com. With that, Delaney, should we let the people go? Let's let them go.